raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favourite things. It's another episode of Favourites. My guest today, one of the uh, one of the the people who I I think if if I could learn as much as this man has forgotten about show business, then uh, then I would be in a fantastic place. One of the legends of the industry, uh, more so behind the scenes than uh, not sort of a household name to that effect, but should be. And that's Bob Phillips. G'day, Bob. Hi, Simon. Look, I've forgotten just about everything, mate. So, uh... <laughs> well, there you go. That's what I need to learn. Uh, but you, you are um, uh, ultimately you know, the behind-the-scenes people. Without them, there would be no shows. There would be no stars. There would, without people like yourself and Mike McCall Jones and the like, there would be no, um, there, there would be no Graham Kennedys, no Bert Newtons. It's, uh, it's, it's such an important part that you guys play. Well, yeah, I guess so. But I, I think. Um we would be nowhere without those people. Um, and I was lucky enough over the years to work with uh, some wonderful people, um, including uh, Graham Kenny, as you, you mentioned. And uh, these people, I think, taught us a lot as well. You know, I was a youngster just starting off in television, and all of a sudden I was working with this um, man they called the king of television. And uh, he he was quite uh, unique, Simon. He was just an incredible operator of television if you like was it uh, was it sort of immediately obvious when he first set foot on the on the set of IMT or or did it take a while for him to warm up to TV no i think i think it took a little while but he very quickly uh, realized how to work studio cameras in those days they were old pi lens cameras and he had the ability to uh, to look across the studio and know exactly what uh, what picture the, the the director was taking and worked accordingly, and that's where he got all that facial sort of stuff and the the very funny takes he used to do. Yeah. Uh, but he he just he played it so well. So he could he would instinctively know that it was a, it was a close up, and he'd pull faces, or if it was a wider shot, and he'd use his arms and flail about a bit. He he just sort of knew all that stuff. Exactly, and he he probably learnt that a lot more than uh, a lot of the people that uh, were in television when I started were radio people. And nothing against radio people, Simon. Yes, <laughs> but they they, they took uh, quite a while to sort of adapt to this new medium. And I think that Graham uh, was lucky and also very clever in the fact that he he grasped it within the first probably six or eight months that he was on television. Now, he, so how did your uh, foray into television start? Well, I, I started off actually uh, working for Hoyts um, and other independent cinemas as a projectionist and realised that uh, the days of the hardtop cinemas were dying. This is sort of the, the late 50s. Um, so I, I got a job at Channel 9 working in the film department, and this meant hours of winding films and putting in commercials into things like the Loretta Young show and all the favourites of those times, I Love Lucy. Um, and I was doing this probably for 12 hours a day. And uh, at one stage... Uh, Graham Kennedy wandered into the film department and we were sort of pretty remote. We weren't too much involved with the, the live thing at Channel 9 and he uh, got into conversation, introduced himself and said, uh, oh, by the way, I'm Graham Kennedy. And at that stage, he was probably the best-known person on, on television. <laughs> and he said to me, uh, are you enjoying this? And I said, look, you know, I, I always wanted to get into show business. 
and I think he had a look at me in my, my faded, dust-covered <laughs> coat, um, sort of thinking, uh, well, he said to me, Bob, this isn't show business. Show business is down there on the floor where it's all happening. And I eventually moved down there, firstly uh, pulling cables and being an assistant floor manager and eventually floor manager and moved on to be producer and eventually executive producer. Uh, and Graham wasn't the, of course, the only one you worked with. You've got a book. We, actually, we should plug your books as well here. Uh, there's a book out at the moment, 60 Years of Oz TV. It's called Like No Other Business, mm. 60 Years of Oz TV, Bob Phillips. And in there you detail, uh, well, you, you talk about the, the amazing number of people you worked with and the incredible shows that uh, that you worked on. And you uh, and, and the others, of course, not uh, leaving anyone else out, the shows that you worked on are the shows that actually sort of define for me what is great Australian television. You go from IMT, uh, Hey Hey It's Saturday, um, uh, Tonight Live with Steve Vizard, all of those sort of groundbreaking uh, shows that, that Americans couldn't even dream to replicate, uh, you were a part of. Yeah, look, I, I was very lucky, I think, Simon, that... Um I worked uh, with some amazing people and amazing shows. They were mainly tonight shows. You know, I worked with um, Don Lane, obviously, and Bernie Sigley, yes. Steve Izzard, uh late in the place. Um, and I started off uh, pretty much Hey Hey at Saturday. I was the original executive producer uh, with Hey Hey, and I managed Daryl Summers at that time. And that, that was groundbreaking television. You know, that was something that um, when we took the show to... Uh, to the States, we did a couple of shows at Warner Brothers, and the Americans That's were right. amazed. You know, they, they couldn't believe that we got away with this. And this <laughs> ad lib, uh, you know, I remember one of the Warner Brothers executives asking to see a running sheet. Well, the, the Hey Hey at Saturday running sheets were not terribly comprehensive documents. <laughs> I mean, they were normally a double sided page of very little information, and it was all up to. Uh, People like Daryl and Blackers, John Blackman and Ernie Carroll, of course, and a whole host of people who uh, who just sort of ad-libbed and put enormous input into this uh, this mad, crazy show. And uh, I wasn't there for the whole run of it. Um, later on, people like Pam Barnes took over from yes. me, but um, I, I was very lucky to be there and see Hey Hey go from a, a very um, small Saturday morning show to a... Uh, you know, just a, a, a incredible uh, halcyon show, really. I, I remember very fondly, because uh, I was born in 71, the year that Hey Hey started. So for me in my younger days, it was that Saturday morning kids TV show, which yeah. which I loved. And then when I reached the age of 13 in 1984, it went to, just for one year, it went to 9.30 to midnight. And, yeah. it, and it became quite uh, cheeky and <laughs> and uh, a, a bit more adult humour in it, which as a 13-year-old I just soaked up. I loved it. And then uh, <laughs> the next year into the uh, the 6.30 variety show that, that it sort of ended up becoming. And, yeah. and so right right through the entire run, Hey Hey was a staple of mine. I loved it. Yeah. It, it's, it's worth mentioning, uh, Simon, that um, one of the shows I really – uh, love working on, and in fact, I met um, my late wife Judy Bangs Phillips was Fred Bear's Breakfast to Go Go. Yes, um, which really I think paved the way uh, for a lot of what um, Daryl and the gang did with Hey Hey. Um, Fred Bear's Breakfast to Go Go was allegedly a, a kids' morning breakfast show, 
but it was so full of double meaning stuff and uh, <laughs> fairly naughty humour that uh, I think people like Daryl and probably Ernie Carroll had watched this and thought, well, they got away with it. Why can't, why can't we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the idea of having uh, Aussie Ostrich as the co-host, I've seen clips of Aussie with Graham Kennedy. Yep. So, uh, so Aussie was around prior to Hey Hey. Um, yes, he was. Um, he was originally uh, came out of the uh, the Tarek show right. um, with uh, people like uh, Happy Hammond and Jeff Cork, and he was the creator of or created by Ernie Carroll, who was the uh, the then um, head children's show producer at Channel Nine. And Aussie uh, gradually developed uh, from very much a, a child character uh, to uh, uh, an, an adult. Uh, ostrich, if you like, yeah. and he he was, I, I think again, Daryl was very lucky that that Ernie had years of experience um, working on radio in the early days of television and uh, being a cartoonist, and he brought so much uh, knowledge that uh, that Daryl just soaked up, uh, as indeed Graham Kennedy did with some of the people that came from Vaudeville. Yeah. Now, I, I know I'm jumping all over the place here, but we should also, uh, back to your books, because I've mentioned, like no other business, uh, 60 mm. Years of Oz TV. but you've also got a book out called The Tailors, an Australian dynasty, a novel this one is. Well, it is. It is a novel. Um, I ventured into um, the field of uh, paperback uh, writing, and I was lucky enough to, to have it picked up by uh, a publisher, Pegasus, in London, and... Um, they uh, made me sign a declaration saying that uh, this is definitely a work of fiction. Yes. And they describe it in the publicity that they use in London as a love story with a fair ingredient of sex. <laughs> uh, and, that, and you've read it, so you've... It, yes. It, it's, um, look, it's a, it's a romp. It's not... Uh, uh, it's based on a, on a family that um, I knew many years ago. Um, and it uh, it's got some pretty outrageous characters, as you uh, as you know. Yes. Uh, so uh, the characters uh, sort of a bit true to life to the people you based it on, or are they exaggerations, as it were? Um, a bit of both. So yeah. the 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 main character is um, a girl called Patricia, who is the the head uh, or the eldest daughter in the Taylor family, and she's quite a. Um, an out there girl with attitude, movie star looks. Her mother forces her into talent quests, and yes. eventually uh, she becomes a supermodel on the on the world stage, and uh, gets into a, a fair amount of trouble along the way. Um, but it's it sort of um, there is a character in it. Um, I, I got involved in a in a writers' club the other day, and they asked me about a character called Mattress Back. Yes, <laughs> and Mattress Back. Um, is actually based on uh, many years ago when I was working at Channel 9, one of the, uh, the chief directors was a guy called Rod Kinnear and he was also uh, somewhat production manager and he approached me in the corridor one day and he said, um, Bob, I've got this production assistant coming down from TCN9 in Sydney uh, who wants to look at the way we do things at Channel 9 and he said, can you look after her? And I said, yeah, that's fine. And he... Uh, I said, what, what's her name? And Rod, Big Rod, said, uh, look, I can't remember, but they um, they call a mattress back <laughs> up at TCN. And we, we found out later that this was for obvious reasons. So she appears in the book. Um, and a lot of the characters, uh, 
uh, people, uh, it's like people that read it can read into it that they are um, people from everyday life. Yeah. Uh, well, that's also so. Both books are out now: the Tailors and Like No Other Business. So, uh, available all good bookshops, or is it uh, just online? Or uh, look, some bookshops. It's a main. The best way to get them, uh, Simon, these days is uh, from Amazon Books online. Yep. Or Booktopia, and they offer cheapest rates and instant delivery. So it seems to be the the way to go. But um, they're both. Uh, Selling the uh, like now other business has been out for quite a while, but the Taylor's uh, was only launched a couple of months ago, and is uh, I'm glad to say doing very well. Yep, lovely. Now uh, back to TV. So we've sort of covered off Hey Hey and IMT a bit there, but there is, as I said, there is so many other shows. You, as you mentioned, you work with Ernie Sigley, Don Lane. Uh, which one should we go to next? Uh, what in the future do you mean? No, no, no. I know, as, as in, uh, yeah, where do, where do we start with this amazing career of yours, Don Lane? What was what was the lanky yank uh, like? Well, I, I, I have to say, Simon, that um, he and I never ever had too much of a great rapport. Um, I look, I admired him professionally. He was a a very uh, strong professional entertainer. He was a terrific floor show artist, um, but um, he and I. Uh, really uh, didn't have any great uh, great rapport um, but he look he was uh, for what he did over the years um, he was a superb tonight show uh, uh, presenter and he was lucky that um, he bonded very early in the piece with Peter Feynman uh, who was a, a legendary um, television director and Peter sort of saw what Don could do and what he couldn't do and he surrounded him uh, in, in those days, they weren't really talk shows, you know, the Graham Kennedy show. Uh, Graham very rarely did interviews, uh, whereas the Don Lane show was totally interview-based yep. uh, with terrific people. You know, we always had someone like a, a Joan Collins or occasionally people like Sammy Davis. Uh, Bob Hope was another terrific guest. Uh, and, you know, locally people like uh, Peter Russell Clark, who all brought something to the... The program and and Don uh, was a great interviewer. You know, he he knew how to interview, uh, but and that was sort of, I think, probably one of the more prestigious shows um, that we did. But unfortunately, as years went by, uh, the audience became quite bizarre. You know, you could sort of say, in the one night, you had Prince Charles and Elizabeth Taylor on the show, and they'd say, "Oh, yeah, who's on tomorrow?" Okay, yeah. You know, it sort of ran out of legs over a period of time. Um, but by comparison, um, Ernie, uh, Don did a lot of work, by the way. He worked hard at researching and had a great group of researchers around him. Uh, by comparison, um, Ernie, Ernie Sickley, the <laughs> little, little Aussie battler, uh, did no work. Yes. Um, and was very, uh, if you could say, relaxed about the whole thing, but had a, a terrific talent for interviewing. Yeah. You know, I would say he was on a par with someone like, Michael Parkinson, that he could interview someone and ask the questions that um, sitting at home in our lounge rooms, people wanted to know. And he had a photographic memory. You know, he knew a lot about a lot of different things. Mm. And he, um, uh, you know, Ernie was not, not the easiest person to work with. Uh, but in, of all the Tonight Show compeers, I, I really enjoyed working with him. 
Yeah, I um, in the two years I produced his radio show, I, I, I witnessed exactly what you're saying about the interviews. I always used to say, Ernie never interviewed anyone, he just had a yak. And it, it was amazing how it worked for him. Look, exactly. Well, you know better than anyone the uh, the tribulations of working with uh, yes. with Ernie, that uh, there were good and, good and bad days. But yep. um, again, look, he, he brought so much to... Uh, to Australian television, and I think the, the chemistry between he and Denise, he allowed Denise to become much more than a second banana, and uh, they had just a, a magic thing about them, and, uh, you know, the audiences love them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Steve Weisard, uh, Tonight Live was uh, was a very interesting ride, and it's, <laughs> it, it, it felt to me like it was on for about a decade, but it was only a couple of years, wasn't it? Yeah, it was only a few years. I, I was only with the show uh, about a year, and it was um, it was a, a problem show that it was was sort of supposedly based on, I would say, the Jay Leno show in America, and was supposedly a, a Tonight Show in the in the strictest terms. But um, Steve wanted it to be something more. He wanted he was heavily into stunts, and I think that. Um, when I started, when I joined the show, he was on a collision course with the uh, the Seven Network management, mm-hmm. uh, who were terrified about what he was doing. Uh, they loved Steve, and Steve, to some extent, turned uh, Channel Seven around when they were going through some pretty dire financial problems. But um, I had a meeting very early in the piece uh, with the executives of the Seven Network, and they uh, outlined to me. What, how they wanted the show to be. And I said to them, well, that's terrific. Um, have you told Steve? Um, and there was always a collision course there and some epic disasters. You know, I think one of the worst ones we, and I think it was Mike McCall Jones's idea, I'm not too sure, but we um, decided to do uh, the show on a ferry in the middle of Sydney Harbour and it seemed like a, ter- a fun idea. You know, yeah. we, we took guests on and we had the band on the ferry. But no one told us, um, Simon, that out in the middle of um, Sydney Harbour at night, at 10 o'clock at night, it is pitch black. And you couldn't see anything. <laughs> and the only people that we interacted with were, I think there was a, another ferry with a Bucks party going on it. Um, and they came up very close to us and... The people mooned uh, the performers <laughs> on our ferry, and That's it was just a total disaster. You know, we had communication problems and audio problems, and at one stage during the night, uh, and I pr- refer to this in the, the book like no other business, but at one stage I, I said to Steve, Steve, we're not going to get a Logie for this. <laughs> it, it was a total disaster. But look, I, sadly, Steve... Um, was a terrific talent, and I, I still uh, catch up with him occasionally. And he's a good, fun person with a wonderful mind. Uh, but he got bored, Simon. He, yeah. he really lost interest in the show. He began to take more and more nights off, and I think he it, it really wasn't what he wanted to do. Yeah, I, I seem to recall Richard Stubbs ended up hosting quite a few uh, episodes of Tonight Live. Yeah, Richard used to do odd nights, and then he ended up doing the Fridays on a, on a regular basis. Yeah. And they had a lot of um, guest um, hosts in uh, over the years. But um, And it was a shame, because I, I think, you know, now we don't have a tonight show. And I think it had the legs to be uh, 
it could still be on air now, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, now, aside from uh, all these TV shows, you've you've not just uh, dabbled in TV. You've dabbled in other things as well. You've managed people. You've you've uh, managed rock bands and stuff. Uh, how does how does Bob Phillips wake up one morning and go? I'm going to get into the music business today. Oh, look! It, it started. I started a record label um, in the mid '60s. Uh, this was sort of. Uh, prior to uh, to Michael Gadinsky with Mushroom, and I think Michael looked at what I did and thought, oh, I could do this. And I, the, the thing was, um, Simon, I was working um, every night of the week on in Melbourne tonight, and there were a lot of terrific people going through, a lot of terrific performers uh, who had no chance of recording. And I started this little record label called Vamp, and uh, we produced, I think, over a period of time, uh, a number of albums and 10 singles. And it, it certainly wasn't a money-making uh, <laughs> thing, but it, I, I took a lot of pride in uh, in working with um, some terrific people, including uh, uh, a group called The Four Kinsmen, who um, were a top cabaret act in Australia. Uh, and they eventually recorded, and we had a, a hit record with a, a song called The Sphinx Won't Tell. Um, and they, uh, it, it was sort of charting at, uh, I think, number three and four on all the big charts. And we'd only sold 100 copies. <laughs> and and, I, and the way we, we got it into the charts, um, and it's no secret, but in those days, if, if Cole's store number 200 in Burke Street sold a lot of copies, well, it automatically got a chart rating. So we got all the, the friends of the four kinsmen to go and buy singles from Coles and out of the blue I got a call from um, Kevin Lewis uh, who in later years became uh, or formed Lewis Young Productions with Johnny Young and created Young Talent Time and Kevin at the time was the Melbourne boss of Festival and he said he rang me and he said Bob we're just very interested in this group we'd like to sort of talk about taking it over (laughs) so I had a meeting with uh, with Kevin and put my suit on and went in there and he offered me, I think it was $50, $50 or £50, pounds, I can't think which, uh, to buy the master. And I thought, well, we're not selling it. I've got nothing to lose. So I signed it off. And they went off and I think um, pressed 10,000 copies. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I don't know. But uh, that, that was my main experience of the uh, the record business. But it, it, it was... Uh, it was very interesting. I, I worked with some terrific people um, over the years, including Bill Armstrong, um, who these days, in fact, I thought you and I caught up with him at a uh, marquee luncheon, and I yes. think Bill is 93 or something, Simon. Yeah, it? just turned 94. I actually caught up with him a couple of days ago as, as, yeah. as well. And, and that was just, I managed to get my hands on an old wire recorder, and, uh-huh. uh, but I, and I was told it was in working condition, but I'd never seen one before. And so Bill kindly offered if I if I bought it over, he'd show me how to use it. So uh, I, I had a lesson from the master. Oh, look, he he is the master, and you know he really, I think, is responsible for the fact that um, that Melbourne became uh, you know the the heart of pop music uh, in the uh, in you know the late sixties, early seventies. Mm, yeah, huge. 
Uh, now, Bob, uh, let's turn now to uh, some favourites, because that is supposed to be what we're doing here. Uh, right. And uh, I have 50 things, and I'm going to randomly point at some. I, I turn my head away from the page. I randomly point at some and then ask you what your favourite uh, uh, favourite is. Uh, favourite childhood memory? Oh, look, I think favourite childhood memory probably was um, going to the Essendon Football Club. I was brought up at Essendon and I went to, used to go pretty regularly to uh, Windy Hill um, and where I was in the outer and I can remember at one stage not necessarily a favourite memory but being hit over the head uh, with a very angry female Collingwood supporter with an umbrella. Oh. <laughs> so, not necessarily a favourite memory. No, but still it's you know, it's a it's a good memory. It's <laughs> it's it's one to share. Uh, favourite hot drink Oh, look, I can't go much past um, beyond flat whites. I, you know, I really need a few flat whites during the day. Yeah. Uh, Favourite teacher? Teacher? That, yeah, that takes you back. Oh, yes, it does. Um, yeah, look, there was, a, there was a guy called Russell Collins um, who, when I went, to, I went to Western High School, and he was um, he, one of his, one of the, subjects he taught was German and after a year of me doing German he advised me that uh, maybe I should do something else the next year but he was in charge of um, uh, the PA system and I sort of worked my way into being his assistant and this this meant uh, different sporting events and things setting up the very primitive amplifiers and big speakers and this sort of thing and uh, and running the the PA system during these events, and that, 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 were, that were good yeah, memories. Yes, yeah, sparked your interest. Yeah. Um, favourite band? Oh, gee, look, um, I probably would have to say Fleetwood Mac. Um, yeah. You know, I've always followed Fleetwood Mac, and I, I just, um, I know there were a lot of problems personnel-wise in it, but I, I just thought the music and the songwriting was, was just terrific. Uh, favourite comedian? I, look, I have to say, uh, Bob Newhart. I know I'm yes. going back a bit, um, but Bob um, still gets played on radio quite a lot. Yeah, and he he just had this very, uh, I think, incisive sense of humour. Uh, you know, again, he was a, a very in the, probably one of the very earliest observational comics. And uh, just very funny stuff, and, and very innovative. In I don't, I can't think of anybody else who does what he does so well, which is that one-sided conversation. That you're hearing one part of a, a conversation, and it's it's always hysterical. The driving instructor is is probably yeah. the, the best example <laughs> of that. Yeah. Uh, and there's the one um, where the, there's the cleaner on the phone to his boss. He's cleaning the Empire State Building as King Kong's climbing up. <laughs> and, he, and he's on the phone saying, I've I had a look at the instructions. I'm not sure what to do. There's a toe uh, poking through the window. And, well, look, it's, they all still stand up too, Simon. Yeah. You know, it's, it's years and years ago, but, um, you know, it's funny stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Favourite pet? Um, look, I guess I have uh, a horse called Flynn, um, who is, uh, I, I'm not sure, he's never been broken in, he's like a Brumby, and he was, uh, we got him when he was on the way to the knackery, he, he was actually working as a rodeo horse, and I think was totally undisciplined, 
And years later, he's still totally undisciplined. He's uh, uh, he's t- totally affectionate, but also totally unstable. <laughs> um, but we get we get a lot of fun out of him. But he's he's never had a saddle on him, and he never will have. You know, he's just a a total rebel. It's just like having a rather large dog. Uh, exactly. As opposed yeah. to something to ride around on. Yeah. Um, favourite friend? Oh, look, I would say, um, and I'm not saying this um, to big note or anything like that, but I think probably my best friend from those television days, and he's not travelling all that well at the moment, is uh, Mike McCall-Jones. And I sort of became friends with him when he, he used to come into the, the back of the audience in the early days of IMT just to study Graham Kennedy and gradually uh, made himself known to myself and the crew and Graham and edged his way in uh, to write for Graham and then, uh, you know, went on to write for everyone, everyone uh, yeah. including some international people. Yeah. Just, and just He's been such a good friend and... You know, at the moment, um, he's in uh, uh, in aged care, but uh, the mind is still there. Yep, yep. No, he's, he's a gentleman. I've I've, uh, I've been blessed to know him as well, and uh, yeah. and yeah, an amazing talent with uh, as many fascinating stories to tell as you've had for us uh, today. <laughs> oh, he's got more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bob, it's fabulous to chat to you. Uh, like no other business is uh, one of Bob's books. The other is The Tailors. Both out now, and as Bob said, get them through Amazon Books. You've been very kind and generous with your time, Bob. I've really appreciated it. Oh, it's been a pleasure, and I uh, totally enjoy your show, Simon. Oh, you're very kind. Bob Phillips.